Our God in heaven, Lord, this morning we declare who you are as the sovereign one of all and that you have called us and brought us into this place. God, uh, whether we had a, a, a just a tremendous week that we're coming off from riding high or, Lord, this week has just been awful. God, we, uh, we surrender ourselves to you and we pray, Lord, that whatever we're hoping to hear, whatever we think that we need to hear this morning out of your word, Lord, we ask that, that you that you perfect those words and those hopes, that you turn them away from ourselves and to turn them into what you want for us, what you know we need to hear. God, as difficult as that is, help us die to ourselves a little bit this morning and, and rise up looking more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> Well, good morning and welcome again. Um, uh, like I said, my name is Dirk, preaching pastor here. We're, we're happy to have a, a lot of you here. Um, this morning, we get to start a new series, kind of a kickoff here together called Red Letter Prayers. The name comes from uh, the fact that in a lot of Bibles, not all, but in a lot of Bibles, the words of Jesus are printed in red letters. So sometimes as we look through and kind of wonder together on, on how is it that we're supposed to pray? Is it possible that there's some things as, as like wrong prayers and right prayers? A, a good way a good place to start from is to open up the Bible and look at some of the words that Jesus used when he prayed the the red letter prayers. You get it. We're going to start off this series here Labor Day weekend and it'll kind of carry us well into September as we answer kind of a few questions about prayer uh, from the red letters, the words that Jesus spoke uh, in the Bible. Um, And and as we enter into this, I just, I want to like tell you a little bit about kind of where my heart is on the topic and maybe why I think that that it's important enough to kind of kick off the the new year, the kind of ministry year here at Encounter with. Uh, The the series is born out of an experience that I had Honestly, probably about 15, 16 years ago when I, I was a, a high school student, kind of ninth, 10th grade, something like that, and just searching for a, for a place to fit in, searching for my, my place in the world, my place at school, my place in the family, my place, and this one's big, at church. And, and so I would just sign up for like everything. And, and one of the things that I signed up for at church was this prayer group. Like I said, I had no idea what I was getting into, and honestly, at that point, my, my like, prayers had mostly consisted of like, the long prayers in church where you'd kind of like get the, the elbows thing down and the face and the hands, right? You've been there, and just try to like, pretend like you're not sleeping, but it's totally obvious. By the way, if that's you or your kid, they might become a preacher, you know, so just give them a little slack. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that I, what I was getting into, but I signed up for this group, and I, and I kind of show up when they, when they were meeting, and, and I show up to find this um, small office that the way they had the, the chairs arranged, it looked less like a small office and more like a glorified closet, because they were all like arranged in this tight circle, and so I took a seat, and there's probably five or six other people around in there. We sat like literally t- shoulder to shoulder, touching like in, a, like in a football huddle or something like that, and for the next hour, hour and a half, we prayed. And it was a bit mind-blowing to me. I say we prayed. What I mean by that is, is like they prayed and I showed up. Like that was my only contribution to those first few times is, is simply showing up. And what I walked away with from that experience was this just this bewilderment, right, that said, I, it's not just how they prayed, although it is that. There, there's like this, the prayer of, of like intensity and passion that, that I just could not identify with until that point. I don't think I ever experienced it, or if I did, I was certainly not aware of it ever before. But it wasn't just how they prayed. It was, it was like the things that they prayed for. 
Is it ninth, tenth grade? I was thinking about myself the entire time, right? I was thinking about you know the, my prayer life, you know, on my own, independent. Uh, I would pray for things like God, you know, if you could help me out and get me like a really cool after school job, like that'd be awesome. Something that I could get a little street cred with my buddies. But God, if you don't give me a cool after school job, could you at least give me one that pays really well so I could buy some really cool things? <laughs> Some cool things that would impress other people and maybe some cool things that when I ask her out, you know, for my English class or whatever, like she'll, she'll say okay and she'll say yes because she thinks like I'm as cool as my stuff is. I, like the depths of the prayers are about that shallow. And so when I'm a part of this group that prays for like 60 or 90 minutes at a time with this passion and it's not about themselves at all, there's no prayers about little after-school jobs. There's, there's prayers about, but about God. Just let me know who you are. Show yourself. Reveal yourself to me. God, start something inside of me that, that lives for your glory and for, and for your honor so that, so that if people look at me, they don't even see me. They see you living in me. And God, God whatever, whatever you want for this world for, to build your kingdom, God, God, make that happen. And I see it here and I see it here and you're on the move there. And honestly, I walk away from a prayer meeting like that, going, that is unlike anything I've ever experienced before. Maybe I've been doing it wrong. Like the discouragement starts to set in, like, like is it possible that somehow I've missed something? That for the, for the first 15 years of my life, I've like missed how to pray well, and maybe this whole time, I'm, I'm doing it wrong. And why I think this series, the Red Letter Prayers, is so important, because I think you've been there as well. I think that you have seen that group, or have heard about that group, or have met people in that group. And you've walked away going, that is, that is so unlike where I am and who I am. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Happens going down to a, like a, a mission trip with a church or school group or something like that, and you and you fly down to Central America because because you have and they are the have-nots, and so you're going to build them a, a like a church or a, like houses or a school or something that they need. And you go down there and you see, and there, there's this group of people shoulder to shoulder crowded into this little hut with a plastic roof and dirt floor. And they're just praying and they're thanking God for showing up and, and offering the provision that he has offered to them. And you're going, like, what? You have nothing. How do you find those words? And fly back to the States going, man, Maybe it's been 30 or 40 years of me praying, and maybe this entire time I've been doing it wrong. If you're there, if you hadn't considered it, but, but now you are considering it, there, there's this initial wave of, of just like discouragement that sweeps over. Of, of, is it possible that this whole time I've just missed something so central to this faith and so, and so big? This initial wave of, 
of sadness, discouragement that comes over. But I just want to hang in there, hang in there for a few, a few moments here this morning because I think that, that this initial sense of discouragement will give way to a sense of encouragement to say, maybe, maybe you have missed it. Maybe I have missed it. Maybe together there's just something so much bigger and we've missed it the whole time. But at least now, when you walk away from those groups, you know what it is that you're missing. And so maybe now this could start uh, something, a, a beginning of something just incredible that will change lives starting with yourself, your own. So if you're asking, walking away, maybe I've been doing it wrong the whole life, I just want you to know that you have some good company, not me, better company. Because there's a story in the Bible where Luke, one of the first followers of Jesus, tells it in Luke 11, he says one time that Jesus was praying, and he just says, in a certain place. And when he finished, when he said presumably, amen, one of the disciples looked over at him and he says, Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Which is, an, which is kind of an odd question if you think about it. Because the disciples that Jesus called for the most part were like good Jewish um, young men. They were raised in the Jewish households. They were raised going to the, the Torah school where they, they opened up the Bible, the Old Testament in particular, and they read through it. And they didn't just read through it. They were, they were tested on it. And they were supposed to memorize it. They were supposed to read through and memorize the, the Psalms. All of the Psalms which are like a book mostly of songs and prayers, sometimes both. What, what I mean by that is that when Jesus says amen and one of the disciples turns to him and says, Lord, would you, would you teach us how to pray? He knew how to pray, but he walked away from when, when Jesus prayed and when they prayed, one of the disciples said, you know, I, just, I feel like when you're doing it and when I'm doing it, we're totally, these are totally separate things here. And so, so Jesus, would you just, would you teach us how to pray? Because apparently I'm, I'm doing it wrong over here, and I, and I don't want to anymore. I want to pray like you pray. And so we're going to figure that out this morning. As how to pray, honestly, we're going to spend a little bit more time on how to pray wrong, and then, of course, how to pray right along, along with it. So they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray in Luke. And then in Matthew, we, we, we see Jesus fleshing it out a lot more. And he's, he's answering this question in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. And he answered. And he answered on the, uh, on the screen behind me. You'll see it start off in verse 5. When you pray, by the way, when you pray, right? Not if. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And I just want to pause because I want to make sure that we got that. Because there may be a few skeptics in the room yet to say, seriously, like wrong prayer? I mean, I was told my whole life, prayer is just talking back and forth with God. I mean, you can't do it wrong, right? Jesus starts off and he goes, oh, by the way, when you pray, do not, right? Do not do it like the hypocrites. Starting off right away, it's like Jesus is answering this kind of rhetorical in Matthew question of, Lord, teach us to pray. And he's responding with, oh, by the way, first of all, there's a way not to do this. Don't do it standing in the synagogues and the street corners. Don't do it like a hypocrite. Don't do it so that everybody looks at you and sees you and, and sees what you're doing. As in, I, I, there's a, obviously a lot to these words too, but I just want us to see for, for kind of where we're going with this is just to see, yes, there's a way to do it well, there's a way to pray right, and there's a way to do it poorly. There's a way to say you're doing it wrong. And, and to do it wrong, you do it on the street corners to be seen by other people. 
Now, even as I say that, it's like, well, that's not me. I mean, when was the last time you like stood on a street corner at like Burton and Brenton or something like that at the Beltline and being like, I want everybody in the world to see me? Immediately, there's a sense in which it's like, oh, okay, I, I guess that there's a way that you could do it poorly, but, but nobody does that. Nobody in the right mind does that anymore, right? I mean, that was just, that was, that happened in Bible time. That doesn't happen in today's time anymore. And so it's easy to kind of gloss over that, and maybe we will too, but I just want us to see that there is, in fact, a way to to do this poorly, to to pray poorly. So we'll, we'll move on. But when you pray, there it is again, isn't it? But when you pray, not if, when. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to the Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We got how to do it wrong. Now he's talking about praying well, praying right. As opposed to doing it like the hypocrites do about standing on the street corners to be seen by everybody else, Jesus says, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then when he sees what is done in secret, as opposed to like so that everybody can see in the synagogues and whatever, he uses a, a phrase there that it's easy for us to skip right over. He says, go into your room and close the door. Now, to us, that makes a lot of sense is because just about every house that's built has multiple rooms. And when you think of, like, your room, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that's my bedroom. I guess if it wasn't my bedroom, it could be, like, my office or it could be the basement or it could be just whatever room in the house that, that has a door on and just about all of them do. Keep in mind, Jesus is saying this in the first century A.D. in Jerusalem, a crowded city where there's not a whole lot of like real estate to maybe spread out uh, against each other. Jesus is saying, Look, go into your room and close the door. He's talking about a, to like a crowd like this, and, and almost none of them have any rooms at all. Their house is the room. They walk in the house, and they only have one room with a like kitchen prep area in one corner, and then a like a sleeping area in another corner, and in another corner. There's like the living room and, and all of them because they live everywhere. You get what I'm saying? There aren't rooms in people's houses with doors on that shut, especially not ones that like shut and lock. And... Except one. Because, because the houses, not having doors on for the most part so that air could kind of go in and it was really hot and they would want like a breeze and stuff. If somebody had like a trade, they were a baker, they were a builder, they were a butcher, they were, I don't know why these all start with B, um, whatever they did, and they had specific tools to that trade, tools that were presumably valuable to somebody else, to either sell or use them themselves, they would have an area of the house, or maybe it was an outbuilding, maybe it was somewhere across town, somewhere else that's almost like a locker that would lock that they put their trade, their tools in, and shut the door. When, when he says, go into your room and shut the door, it's almost like the, the current idea that Jesus is calling to mind for us is, is like, when you pray, go into the tool shed and close the door. And Jesus is, is like pushing up against the idea about who God is already. He's like, he, he's like predicting, he's foretelling like, like what's going to happen about this concept of, of sacred space where Jesus is saying, where is, he's, where is God dwelling? Where is God living? Where does he see you and hear you? And for this whole time, it's been, well, he's at the temple. He, he's restricted, he's bound to this holy of holies, this one area of the temple in the center of Jerusalem. And now Jesus says, go into the tool shed if God could live in the tool shed, is it possible that God could live also in, in the car on the way into work in the morning? 
I mean, if God could live in the tool shed and make that sacred space by the very fact that he's there and his presence is there, could God also live in the bedroom at night when you're tossing and turning, not being able to sleep because there's this crushing anxiety that grips you? Could God also be there? If God lives in the tool shed and makes that space sacred, is it possible that God could also call his people, the church, to meet in a retrofit fitness club or church on Sunday morning? Thank you. Right. He's pushing the boundaries of what it means to have and to live in this sacred space and have God see you. At the same time, at the same time, he's also preparing his listeners to say, what's right prayer? And it has nothing to do with how many people see you or join along with you or listen to you. And it has everything to do with the approach that you have to God. Jesus continues in verse 7. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Of all of the passages on prayer in the Bible, I'm going to advocate, at least for this morning, that this is one of the most overlooked passages, verses on prayer. Because we, again, have this idea that it doesn't apply, that it skips right over. Don't be like the, pab- the pagans who keep on babbling because they think that they'll be heard because of, because of their many words. If we're to, to press us, and I'm guilty of this myself, even up front on Sunday, if we were to press us on the definition of what it means to be a pagan, I don't want to ask, I don't want to see a you know, show of hands or anything, but I'm guessing that there's going to be more than a few of us, probably most, who say, well, like, a pagan is, is somebody who's, who's totally irreligious. A, a pagan is somebody who, who, who does not care at all who God is or what God wants. A, a pagan is somebody who's, who's so far from a relationship with God. A pagan is somebody who's maybe even more than a skeptic, more than a doubter. A pagan is somebody who's, who's, anger, who's angry, who's maybe even hostile towards the idea of God. Like, like that's a pagan. It's a derogatory term for somebody who's far away from God, who's totally irreligious. Yeah? Because the way Jesus uses it in verse 7, he says, don't be like the pagans. Don't be like these people because they keep on praying, because they're the babblers, because they keep on just going and going and going. They keep on praying and praying and praying. If we've met somebody like Jesus is talking to, I wouldn't call him or her a pagan. No, no, I'd give them more respect. I'd give them honor. I wouldn't call them a pagan. In the culture maybe that you were raised, you might call them a prayer warrior. You might call them a, a highly religious person, an extra spiritual person, somebody who has a, has a direct line with God. I, I love that when people say, oh, you're a pastor, so you know you got like a direct line. It doesn't work that way, but anyway the way that Jesus uses pagan isn't to say that the, the wrong way to pray or the, the, what separates maybe Christian prayer from the rest of right prayer from wrong prayer. He goes, the line that separates, at least in Jesus' mind, is religious prayer and Christian prayer. The difference is in approach. 
like I said, the way that he uses pagans is very religious. He just, they go on and on and on. They're maybe even very spiritual people. But the way Jesus talks about this, and, uh, and this admittedly is a, is a spectrum, so you kind of think about the, like the opposite ends of the stage, and you're usually not like all the way one or all the way the other, but, but like somewhere in the middle. But the, way, the difference that separates Christian prayer from religious prayer, we'll say, is that in religious prayer, the approach that we have towards God is marked by something like a business relationship. This is the different ways that we, we can approach everybody, each other, and also, uh, as it seems, with God. The, the approach that we have with, with God here is that we have something, a product or a service to offer. We have a, let's say, uh, like finances or something, service to give in exchange. It's a barter. It's a purchase. This is the way business relationships work. It's marked by what you have, and it's marked by performance. And so at any time, if we cease to have that thing anymore, the relationship sort of evaporates, sort of dries up. Well, I guess, you know, this is done. And that's fine because it's a, it's a business relationship. It's temporary by nature. How this shows up in prayer life is what he's talking about in, in this concept, pagans, that he uses. He lets us in on it by two words that he uses. He uses the words babbling and he uses the word many. They think they, they keep on babbling for they think they'll be heard because of their, their many words. Babbling has this connotation, you know, in the Greek language that it's written down in, is, is, and it's, it makes kind of a lot of sense. It has this idea, this nuance of being like empty or without or cold or, you know, something void, vapid, right? All of these things. Like words that are just said without any depth or, or meaning behind them. Empty, on the other hand, has a kind of a more interesting nuance to it. Empty has the idea behind of, of being anxious, worrisome maybe even guilty. If you're wondering to yourself, what kind of relationship do I have with God? Christian, whatever that looks like, or religious? Question we might ask is, what happens when my prayers aren't answered? What happens when God just says no? God, we had a deal. This is how it works. I have something, you have something. We have a relationship of a give and, a give and take. God, the deal that I had with you was that I'm going to pray for something and if I want it bad enough, if I desire it in the depths of my heart enough, if I pray often enough, if I use as many words and eloquent words on top of that, if I want this thing so badly that I, it's all I think about day and night, and if I go to you again and again and again in this culture, in the Bible, if I cut myself, if I slash myself, if I lay before you and just want this so badly, God, and if I do, if I hold up my end of the bargain, if I, if I give myself and my finances, if I show up to church, if I try to pray as often as I can, if I hold up my end of the bargain, God, you have to give to me. That's how a business relationship works. So the goal that I have in prayer is like, there's what I want, and then there's whatever you want. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to just pray and pray and pray, and, and eventually I'm going like, to like bend your will, and so it lines up with what I want. And you're going to give it to me because you're, you're kind and you listen and you want me to have the things that I want. 
besides Jesus outright saying, it's pagan prayer, it's wrong, don't be like them. I'd also encourage you to just play that out this much more. Do you want that God? Do you want the kind of God that that can have his will bent into yours? Do you want the kind of God that says, I have an eternal, infinite perspective that extends infinitely in the past, infinitely in in the future? You have 70 to 90 years, max. But whatever you say goes. Do you you really want the kind of God that is so small, so unimaginative about what could possibly be that he will be coerced or maybe more like churchy language, we could say he will be faithed to commit to your will rather than what he wants? I don't want that. Because honestly, here's the kicker. I can look back at a few of my prayers early on and think, the best thing that ever happened to me was God saying no. He just said no. You know, I asked for a date for so-and-so, and for whatever reason, it just it didn't happen. But I really, I really wanted it. Best thing ever happened. He said no. You want the job, the interview that's going to lead to the job, that's going to lead to the career, and everything lines up, and this is what you went to school for, and and this is kind of why you're changing. It's, it's for him. It's to build his kingdom. It's to tell him about you. And he says no. And given enough time, it's possible that the imaginative big God behind there says the best thing I'm doing for you is saying no. Just trust me. What's Christian prayer look like then? If the business relationship on the end of the spectrum looks like pagan, looks like business, what's Christian prayer? Thank you for asking. Verse 8, or uh, sorry, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. And the first two words are so telling. Our Father. This is not a business relationship that Jesus invites us into. He invites us into a family relationship. It's not about what I have. It's about who I am. It's not about performance. It's about commitment. It doesn't matter in a family what you have to offer. By the way, none of us offered anything in those first weeks and months at all, except, well, a couple of things, but they didn't smell very well. Nobody has anything to offer standing up, but by the very fact that you're here, somebody, somebody made a commitment. Somebody made an offer to you. Though you had nothing in return, somebody made this commitment and says, no matter what, Yes, there's going to be expectations along the way. Yes, I want you to act like a member of this family. Yes, all of these things. But you know what? There is nothing that you could ever do or say to me or anybody else that's going to sever, that's going to cut off the relationship that I have with you, even if it means walking away. You'll always be my son. You'll always be my daughter. And when you approach God, we say, our Father, because it marks the kind of approach that Jesus is encouraging us to have when we pray. Our Father in heaven, by the way. This radical sense of nearness and distance kind of wrapped up in the same to say, how is it that an infinite almighty God, how is it that the creator of the universe is close enough to us that we call him dad? I don't know. (laughs) But in the same breath, he says, hallowed be your name. Holy, sanctified, sacred is your name and something to be lived into like the name that you were given when you were born. Verse 10 is is what Christian prayer hangs on. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here it is. Here's the difference. It's not about me. You've got a kingdom, don't you? You've got a kingdom where you're the king. Problem is, not everybody in your kingdom sees you as the king, but that's where God comes in. God, not everybody in my kingdom realizes that I'm the king, that I'm in charge, that I know what's going on. God, why is it that, that in my kingdom there's like this attack that's coming on me? God, I need you to help out my kingdom. I, I've got a kingdom of a married life, a single life. I've got a kingdom of a student, of an employee, of a boss. God, I have this kingdom that's under attack. Would you fix the kingdom, please? No, 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 no. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I think that the length of your prayer, in a way, is going to be tied to how long it takes you to get to those words and to actually mean them. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Even if I hate it, even if it costs me, even if I cannot conceive of this green earth that you've given us, that how it will ever work out. Your will be done. It's not about bending God's will to my own. It's about bending my will to God's own. It's true for Jesus. A couple different prayers. He shows up on scene to his friend Lazarus, who had, who had died a few days earlier. And they just put him in the ground. Well, I guess they put him in the ground a couple days ago. And he, he's been in there for a little while. And he, he shows up on scene. And he already knows what's going to happen, right? He knows that he's going to go there and he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And there's just going to be this massive party. He's going to give his, his lost friend one more hug. He shows up on scene and he, he starts to pray. You know how long that prayer lasts? It's about 20 seconds. <laughs> it's like, you know, I got you, you're going to do this thing. I know that you're, I'm really praying just so that you know that like you did it and not me. So he shows up, Lazarus, come on out. And Lazarus does. He comes on out. Prayer answered. Another time Jesus was in a garden and he was praying. Except for this time he was not in sync with God's will, with the Father's will. He he had some reserva understandable reservations because God was asking him to be falsely accused, convicted, strung up on a cross, and die. And he didn't want to die. He didn't want to suffer like any reasonable human being wouldn't. You know how long it took him to pray? Not my will, but yours be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It took him all night. He got there, though. I just want you to spend time on this part in the prayer to say, hey, it's not about me. Your will, not my kingdom, your kingdom. Because the longer you spend on your kingdom come, your will be done, God, the longer you spend there, the smaller everything else looks. The reward he's mentioned twice earlier, maybe you forgot about it already. All of that, small, compared to your kingdom, your will. And when you can pray that, 
And when you can actually mean that, he goes on to say, give us, oh, finally. Verse, what is that, 11? Give us, give me, please, let me have. This is what I want. These are the desires of my heart. Give us today our daily bread. <laughs> you got to think much bigger here. You're talking to God, right? Go big or go home, pal. He says, give us our, our daily bread. I can't think of anything smaller to ask for. And that's probably the point. Because when we're lining up our will to God's in a right kind of prayer, it's not about us. A weird perspective shift happens when we acknowledge this, this radical dependence on God for every provision that we might have. This perspective changes to see if we have anything more than daily bread. We start to see things as the God sees them. Is, is how this big God over all of it, and, and God, yesterday I had way more than daily bread. God, I am just, you have acted so radically generous to me. It's audacious for me to even enter into your presence and to ask for anything else because of how, how wildly you have provided for me. Forgive us our debts, verse 12, as we forgive our debtors. Forgive me as I forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, because I can, I can handle that one. No, it doesn't say that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Kind of look at the Lord's Prayer. We see how in a business relationship not to pray. You're doing it wrong. We see how to pray. We can see in the Lord's Prayer these three kind of movements that Jesus takes us to. I'm of the mind that this is more of a model to pray, not necessarily a script, although if you're going to use a script, it's a pretty good one. The model, I guess you could say, that Jesus uses is I mean, acronyms. You got a pen, maybe. You're thinking about like writing things down. You want to get like, credit for showing up to church on Sunday. I get it. Um, D-S-A, right? You start off and you say, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, declaring God's glory, who he is. S, uh, not my will, but yours be done, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Surrender your will. Declare the glory, surrender your will. D-S-A, acknowledge, acknowledge uh, the, the gifts that, that it was given. Uh, acknowledge the, and there's three of them, bread, debts, and temptation. Uh, acknowledge your dependence on God for provision, bread, for pardon, tem- uh, debts, and for protection, temptation. I know it's like complicated and you could just do a lot with it, but listen, friends, I want to leave you with this one. Even if you just want to like write one line down before you go on how to pray well, as opposed to walking away and feeling like I did it wrong again. DSA, declare God's greatness, surrender your will, acknowledge your dependence, or honestly, DSA, don't start off asking. <laughs> don't start off asking. I invite you to stand up and let's pray together. Let's stop talking about it and let's actually pray before the, the God who brings us here and the God who sends us out. Let's pray together. God, we said you are almighty, you are great, you are the one who brings us here, Lord, you are the one, the giver of life. God, this week, we ask you again to to give us the courage to turn a bit more of ourselves over to you. Show us what your will is. Show us who you are. By your Holy Spirit, may we cling on to you this week and every week to come. 
And God, when we can no longer cling anymore, Lord, we acknowledge that you are the one who hangs on to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.